Um, Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 2. It's quite a long one, but it's a really good one, so enjoy. Um, So we're starting at Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, all being the apostles, were together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How then is each of us um, hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with a joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you this confidently, that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel, for reading such a powerful passage so well. It's always great having our teachers read. They are excellent out loud readers. Uh, I am filling in for Mike, so uh, poor Mike is unwell, and late yesterday I have got the call up to preach. Uh, That means a few things. Uh, First, it means I haven't had as much time as I normally would have had. I'm not a last-minute bandit. I like to prepare uh, before Saturday night. At the same time, there's also a lot going on in this passage, 41 verses, right? So even if I spent one minute per verse, uh, you're lucky to get out of here by lunchtime. Uh, What I've decided to do then is to cover some of the key parts in a broad brushstrokes. So I I plead your graciousness in in perhaps not going to as much detail as you perhaps had hoped. Uh, You might know the story well anyway. I'm happy to chat further over the details and we'll actually pick up the second half of this next week when Ali preaches and I didn't want to steal her thunder. Uh, It's great thunder, come back next week uh, and hear the story continue. Uh, It is uh, Pentecost Sunday and I'm glad to see lots of you are dressed appropriately. Now how do you dress appropriately for Pentecost Sunday? Rachel can tell you because she's dressed appropriately. (laughs) Unlike me, uh, I don't own anything red. You're meant to wear red or orange or or pink, so if you've done that either deliberately or accidentally, congratulations. Uh, (laughs) But we've given you all a red chair to sit on, 
So uh, that's, that's the, the level of detail we go to to care for you. And we've got the burning, fiery wind coming from on high to warm you up as well. Uh, let me pray as we look at this amazing passage together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the astonishing gift of your spirit. And we thank you that we are inheritors. We are the distant lands who have the fulfilment of these promises made evident and visible today. Uh, And so we pray that by that same spirit, we will continue to proclaim the same gospel of the same Lord to the same world. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. I remember walking around the city and seeing a guy with a a large text T-shirt and on this T-shirt said the words, join the worldwide fight against globalisation. Think about it, right? Now, I'm not sure whether the irony was intentional or unintentional, whether the guy just hadn't thought through. I'll let you work that out. But what we see as we look at Acts 2 together is that God actually calls his church to join the worldwide mission to proclaim the gospel. That is what is happening from this tiny bunch of worried and prayerful followers of Jesus. This is the birth of that mission, not the continuing kind of setting off of that mission to the ends of the earth that will end up in Melbourne 2,000 or so years later. Now, the day of Pentecost is a well-known story for a Christian. It's where God's Spirit comes upon his descendant, uh, upon his uh, disciples in the form of fire and wind, two very Old Testament uh, ideas about God's powerful presence. And if you've got some free time, type that into your Bible concordance, or Google's great for this as well. You can see all the times where fire and wind are at work when God is powerfully present with his people. And by the way, this Holy Spirit coming was the one that was promised by Jesus. We know this from Luke's Gospel, uh, from John's Gospel, and the beginning of Acts. The disciples have been told to wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come. And that moment comes powerfully as God's Spirit descends uh, like fire, which is why uh, the the traditional colour for Pentecost is red. Now, there are lots of amazing details in this story, but the key question we need to ask really is, Why? Why does the Holy Spirit come on Jesus' disciples in such a manner? Even in the text, actually, we have for us in verse 12, as the Spirit comes, they can amazingly speak every language. That's Duolingo, long before we had the app. But verse 12 is amazing because it says, amazed and perplexed. That's the two responses of the crowd who are amazed that these these. Galileans can somehow speak all languages at once and perplexed. Like the question they ask is, what does this mean? And Luke is using their question as our question. These are amazing events, but we need to ask that bigger question what does this mean? And what we see as we read through Acts 2 and then following through the whole story of Acts, the the amazing history of God's people. What this means is that you and I, just as these first disciples were, have been radically equipped for God's worldwide mission to preach the gospel. 
That's what the Spirit does. It equips God's people, His church, to keep telling people about Jesus. And far beyond where they currently are, to the ends of the earth. And there are these two big themes that we'll see go through Acts, that we see foundational to Acts chapter 2. One is, because of the gospel, the good news, it is in one name, one person, but it's for all nations. So one name, that's one big tension, and all nations. Now you might not think those things are radical, but particularly at this time, they are both very radical. And in fact, I would argue they're still quite radical today. To claim that the good news is about one person... Well, I think culturally we still think that's quite radically. To all nations, we might not think that's radical, but let me tell you, in the first century, that is extremely radical. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. It equips God's people to proclaim the one name of Is my mic dropping in and out a bit? No. Okay. You can't, you can't hear any languages when I speak that way, let alone one. <laughs> and so what we see as the Holy Spirit comes is they are prepared to, equipped to proclaim the gospel of the one name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 2.21, we read, uh, kind of uh, as, as Peter addresses the crowd, at the end of that kind of little section he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the kind of summarization of his point, of his first point. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He picks up that same idea later on in his speech in verse 38 where he says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly the same thing back in Luke 24 that Jesus had told his disciples to do. He said, Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be, be, be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This idea of preaching in the name of Jesus is foundational to what these disciples are equipped to do as they receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, the message that we share with the world is not a generic, hallmark, nice message. You know, kind of, be nice, be kind. They're all good things, by the way. But the heart of the Gospel is saying something that we declare to be in the name of Jesus. There is forgiveness and repentance, yes, but it is always in the name of Jesus. And that little phrase, in the name of, we kind of understand it a bit. There are a few phrases and, and cultural relics of this. If I was to say to you, stop in the name of the law, right, you kind of get the idea that it's the authority of the law. Well, I'm a police person, but you know. Or in, when a judgment comes down from a judge, they speak uh, with a kind of the named authority. And there's a bit of that going on, both in the Greek and in the Hebrew culture of the time. Uh, in ancient Greek, the phrase, in the name of somebody, was actually a technical business term. Uh, it had the idea of entry into an account under the name of the holder, to say that something was in the name of. Uh, and more importantly, in the scriptures, the name of someone or something can be actually a substitute for that person's personal presence, the power of that person, the authority of the person, the, on the commission of that person. 
And so when we preach in the name of Jesus as people empowered by the Spirit, first and foremost, it is the content of our message about Jesus. That there is forgiveness of sins available through him and through him only. So it's about the content, but it's also about the authority of the message. It's Jesus' message. It comes with his power and commission and backing. So not just the content, not just about Jesus, it is, but it's also empowered by Jesus. We are representing Christ when we proclaim the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus in the name of Jesus. By the way, that is a pretty radical thing to do, uh, not just now, but particularly in the time of the Acts, uh, of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, In the very next chapter, I'm not stealing too much thunder here, by the way, uh, it begins with a very simple miracle where we can see this happening. Uh, Peter goes to the temple and there's a lame beggar there and the beggar's asking for money and if you went to Sunday school, you will know the song, right? Silver, I'm not going to sing too much. Silver and gold have I none, right? Uh, But he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he went, leap. no, no, I'm not going to sing the song. But you get the idea, right? He leaps and he praises God. And what he, what he says there in Acts 3, he says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has been made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, you would think if this happened in the temple, right, what would the response of the authorities be? We've got to get Peter up for a mission spot at the front, right? No, they arrest him. They arrest him. And they call him before the Sanhedrin, the church elders, and they ask him this question, by what power or name are you doing these things? You you don't have to guess what Peter says next, right? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, who you crucified, but God raised from the dead, And he says this, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name in heaven or on earth given to humanity by which we must be saved. That is what it means to preach the gospel in the name of Jesus. And we know that that's pretty profound because the leaders are so upset, uh, they don't know what to do. They threaten Peter and James, uh, Peter and John, and say to this in verse 18 of chapter 3, They called to them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So now they've been commissioned in in chapter 2 to do it, chapter 3, straight away there is opposition. Preaching in the name of Jesus is unpopular and dangerous. And most of the men in chapter 2 who are commissioned by the Holy Spirit will be killed for preaching the name of Jesus. That's the end point. And in our relativistic, multicultural, all religions are equal world, to say that there is salvation in Jesus' name, that's okay. To say there is only salvation in Jesus' name. Well, that's pretty radical. It takes great courage and conviction to tell all the nations and all the religions of this world that salvation is only found in Jesus' name. 
Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only Jesus can bring eternal life. And Christians who've faithfully proclaimed this gospel across the world will be marginalised. In some places ridiculed, in other places ridiculed, uh, ridiculed, and in some places killed. It's hard to estimate, but uh, the best estimates I could find is between seven to eight thousand Christians a year are killed for their faith, for preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, I think that's really important for us to remember because when we preach the name of Jesus, it is not a little thing. It is not just one competing idea in a mix of ideas. It's an inherently bold claim. It is radically, it is politically incorrect. It is outrageous. It is a dangerous thing to tell this world how much Jesus loves them. So don't panic if you get opposition. That's the normal way these things work. But at the same time, be emboldened because like these first disciples, we too have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whether you're wearing red or not, you don't have to wear red, you still preach the same gospel in the name of Jesus. That's the great gift of the Spirit. He equips us to do this same work. Secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit equips God's people not just to proclaim the gospel, but to proclaim that gospel to many nations. Uh, This is a wild and wonderful and radical idea that we don't realise because we've actually been so influenced by this, particularly in the West. By the way, nations in the Bible are not political states. That's a very modern invention. Uh, It's it's much more ethnic and language groupings when the Bible speaks of nations. Uh, And in the Bible, we see uh, Jesus' mission flow from himself, uh, and first and foremost, he addresses the Jewish people. That's the nation of Israel. It's not a political entity. It's it's much more powerfully uh, a people under God. Uh, For example, in Matthew 10, 5 and 6, Jesus says this, uh, he instructs, the, the twelve Jesus sent out with the following, sorry, the twelve, that is, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. He says to them, do not go to the Gentiles or enter any other town of the Sumerians, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So he starts by preaching the gospel to the Jewish people. Now the really great news is, unless you've got a Jewish background, which some of us do, but lots of us don't, Jesus' mission wasn't just to stay with Israel. Radically, it goes from Israel to the nations. In fact, this was the key part of God's Old Testament of how he would work through his people. Back in Genesis 12, when he makes that great promise, that great covenant promise to Abraham, he says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you. Uh, Through you, sorry. All the people. Uh, Isaiah is full of great prophecies of Yahweh's servant who would become a light, not just to Israel but a light to all the nations. For one example, uh, Isaiah 42, verse 6, I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. And so when Jesus ascends to heaven, he commissions his disciples to jump over cultural barriers 
that has separated Israel from other nations. It says this salvation is actually going to be through you to, to the ends of the earth. And in most versions of Jesus' Great Commission, which we have in the different Gospels, we have this really powerful element of taking the message to the Gentiles, which if we are Gentiles, we don't realise how kind of outrageous that is. Uh, the Greek word there is ethnos. It's where we get the word ethnic from. So for in Matthew, the, the kind of Great Commission we might be more aware of, he says, go and make disciples of all ethnics. That's how, that's how you would literally translate it. We don't think people states think ethnics, cultural groups, language groups. In Luke, he preached in, uh, they preached in his name to all the ethnics beginning at Jerusalem. And in Acts, the one we're looking at today, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That sounds good. Then all Judea. Okay, that's still pretty Jewish. Then Samaria. Hang on a second, those guys are not Jewish. To the ends of the earth. And we discussed this last week, that ripple effect of the gospel going out. In other words, the gospel is for ethnics, not just for Jewish people. Uh, that is extremely radical in the first century, where tribes and religion are much more like local sporting teams. The gospel is to have a global impact. And that's dramatically what happens in Acts 2. They received the Holy Spirit. They began to what? Speak in other tongues. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every ethnics, right? All the ethnics were there. They heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each heard their language in their own, uh, their own language being spoken. Aren't these the same Galileans? How can we hear them? And people of the crowd think, like, they're drunk. Are filled with a different kind of spirit, perhaps. No, it is God's work to show this message of salvation is for all ears, in their heart language. Because what happens is, as soon as they hear that this language they can understand, what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel. That's the very first thing he does. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. That's pretty cool. But it keeps going on. And for all of you who are far off. Guess who that is, friends? That's us ethnics in Australia. We have like a mini Pentecost at church every Sunday. We haven't got all the nations, but at St. Jude's, we have about 42, 43 nation backgrounds. Right? What, a, what an amazing testimony to Peter's sermon and the Holy Spirit at work. There's that promise fulfilled. Can you imagine what Peter would think as he wandered into St. Jude's? I mean, he loved the heating and stuff, but more importantly... <laughs> That same sermon he preached, the same Holy Spirit is at work today drawing people from all nations. What a great story we heard this morning uh, about God's work in India. Or God's work in Africa. God's work in New Zealand. God's work in Australia. These are the ends of the earth. We consider ourselves the centre of the universe, but you know... <laughs> But as far as the promises in Acts go, this is the fulfilment. This morning is the fulfilment. 
And brothers and sisters, this means that the gospel must continue to transcend ethnic and cultural boundaries. The gospel is for all people, for all tribes and tongues and nations. It's the thing that we have in together that is bigger than the thing that makes us different. We all come from different places and that we should celebrate. That's a wonderful celebration of different cultures. But the thing we have together is far bigger. Far bigger. See, God's worldwide mission, which we see here in Acts, is inherently radical because it forces us to humbly think about other people who are not like us and who are not near us and who have different cultures and different languages, who look different and sound different, but are just as loved by God. In other words, we can never, ever be selfish with the gospel. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to all nations. Therefore, let's not be selfish with it, right? Let's be committed to sharing the gospel with all nations and all people. Uh, Back in 2018, seems like a long time ago, BC, before COVID, uh, I went, we have a, a, our church has a connection with an Indigenous community in the Northern Territory, uh, Anuka. It's only a short eight-hour drive from Darwin. That's how close it is. Uh, And uh, I met every day this delightful Indigenous woman called Betty. Uh, Betty didn't know how old she was because culturally uh, and for other reasons, uh, there was no official birth certificate, but she would be in her late 70s, early 80s. And she would come every day and we'd have a cup of tea and she'd chat away. But I'd never forget what she said one day. This is a 70 to 80-year-old Indigenous woman living in an Indigenous community that is not always the safest place. She said this, John, I thank God for the arrival of the Europeans at Botany Bay. Now, why on earth would an Indigenous woman say that? She said, because they brought the good news of the gospel with them. Considering all the rubbish and crap that woman has had to go through, the oppression and racism and violence, what an extraordinarily gracious and humbling thing to say. Every time I say it, I try not to cry. (laughs) Because that's the power of the Spirit. A white man who represents colonisation and a woman who is oppressed and been through the worst things, yet we are brother and sister. As huge and horrible as those things are, the gospel is bigger. And so we are genuinely brother and sister, even though culturally we are probably about as far as you can get. That is the power of the gospel. That is what the Holy Spirit brings at Pentecost. Brothers and sisters, this is the wild and wonderful and radical call for us to go to all the nations. If God so loves this world so much that he gave his only son, then we should love the world the same way God does. 
If God's perspective for mission is beyond our horizon, then our perspective for mission should be beyond our horizon. If the mission is to go to people not like us, then our mission should be to go to people not like us and proclaim the great and wonderful news of Jesus Christ and to say there is salvation and forgiveness and hope in the name of Jesus Christ. And what's the result of this amazing, what's the end point of this this amazing journey of the Spirit's work? Well, it's painted for us in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, no one can count, from every nation, every ethnic, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in one loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen.